0: Welcome everybody, this is Tiffany, this is Elizabeth, and we're your host of Wisterhood, a podcast by Women in Science Portland. We created Wisterhood to be our community of support for women in science and their allies, and today we have a special guest, the one and only Victor Villegas.
1: Victor's normal job is providing technology and media support services and training to OSU Extension faculty and staff across Oregon. However, most people know him online as Drone Singer, the Weird Al of Drones, world's number one creator of parody songs about drones. Victor leverages this fame to do K-12 STEAM outreach and engagement, heavily leaning on the arts to reach underserved, underrepresented youth and encourage them to pursue STEM careers. He's fully bilingual, Spanish and English, fully bicultural, a multi-instrumentalist, singer, songwriter, composer of steam songs, a puppeteer, storyteller, and sometimes poet and loves the intersection of arts and technology. You just sing to me. I can't, I love that bio.
2: (laughs) Awesome. Well, thank you for the invitation to be on here.
0: Yeah, we're so happy to have you. Um, So let's dive in. So why don't you tell us a little bit about your day-to-day and the best and worst parts of your current position?
2: Sure, so my real daytime job is technology and media support coordinator for Oregon State University Extension, which means I support uh, OSU Extension faculty and staff across the state of Oregon uh, with technology and media uh, production needs. So a lot of it's online, um, website, social media, uh, any online tools such as Google Apps, uh, Box, Zoom. <laughs> Everyone's familiar with Zoom. I've did a lot of Zoom training and support at the beginning of the pandemic. So, uh, And always uh, looking ahead to see what technologies are coming uh, in, in the near future, right? So I'm researching, I'm uh, testing out things, uh, try to figure out what's the next thing that we're gonna be using for education.
1: I bet it's hard to anticipate that curve, right? Like. You have to stay a little ahead as knowing the demands that might be coming your way. is. Would, am I correct in that question? Or
2: Yeah, it can, it can be a little bit of a challenge. I mean, no one really knows the future 100%, right? And so you, you start learning something, you invest some time in that, and then realize that that doesn't go anywhere or, or it's still like, like too new. But I've, I've been very fortunate to uh, predict, you know, and kind of anticipate some of those technologies along the way, which has been cool.
1: What would you say in your, um, through the pandemic in particular has been the real struggle that keeps like repeating itself, or is there any theme of things that educators or, um, kids, anyone is needing right now that you just keep being called upon for?
2: Well, um, during the pandemic, obviously going remote and being online, um, people were scrambling, <laughs> trying to get their educational efforts online when I've, you know, I've been telling them for the last eight, seven, eight years is like, you should learn this stuff. This is, you know, what I was trying to teach them. It's like, oh, I don't have the time. My clients are not online. Well, And then comes a the pandemic and all of a sudden, oh, how do I get my stuff online? It's like, where were you a few years back when I've been pushing these technologies? Uh, so all of a sudden I was on people's speed dials. Right. And it's like, how can I get up to speed as fast as possible? Because we can't go into the schools. We, we can't do face-to-face. We can't go into the office and yet we still have to serve the Oregonians. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, so that's through webinars, that's putting stuff on websites. That's, uh, you know, sending PDFs and emails and, and all kinds of virtual educational resources. Um, So it it was kind of a blessing in disguise for me, you know, it's not so much as a challenge. I've never been so busy in my life and uh, it's job security, right? Being right place at the right time. And what I found, it's it's actually been cool because they have found, you know, my clients, faculty and staff, have actually found new audiences that they weren't engaging before. Um, So not everyone is able to come to the office, right? Or come to the classroom and we can't be everywhere but when you put stuff online virtually synch- synchronously and asynchronously you can reach a whole you know bunch of people in different ways so that that's kind of been a good thing also people have have realized that they need to put a lot more information online you know so even though we're going back to in face the the digital the online stuff communications is not going to away it's actually enhancing what they already do which is great I was doing training sessions, you know, two to three times a day for, for like two months straight uh, just to get everyone up to speed. And so because they weren't going to the office and everyone was working remotely um, from home, uh, they actually had the time to concentrate on learning new things, right? And, and work on their professional development. So like I said, it's it kind of a blessing in disguise.
0: That's great. I'm actually kind of curious, what piqued your interest in technology and your whole career in STEM?
2: Uh, Oh, was kind of interesting. I've always been interested in in a whole bunch of things as a kid. So when I was, when I was little, uh, I wanted to be a pilot and a photographer and a musician and a puppeteer and a teacher, and I wanted to work with technology. Uh, but it's not like I wanted to do one thing and then I decided, no, I'm tired of that and I want to do something else, right? Like some, no, I wanted to be all these different things all at the same time, right? (laughs) And so I've, I've always been kind of like a technology geek. I was very fortunate to, you know, grown up in the age of where that transition from analog to digital happened and you know I know this is audio in the podcast but if you could actually see the picture I got a whole bunch of technology you know musical instruments synthesizers guitar pedals electronic gear and all kinds of stuff here you know drones
1: I feel like the picture captures your
2: bio yeah absolutely every single
1: thing I read I'm like there it is it's all in there
2: Yeah, yeah. And so I've been, again, very fortunate, Uh, although it it has been, you know, in a way deliberate. Uh, I did study aviation uh, out of high school. Uh, Unfortunately, life happened and I went in a different direction. I I got a degree in uh, digital, uh, digital, sorry, uh, graphics technology, right, which is printing. And at that time, they were transitioning again from analog to digital. So before I I got to learn how to develop film by hand, right? And shoot on these huge horizontal cameras. And we had these uh, wax paste-up boards where you would paste up the layouts and then you would shoot the picture and then make the the page layout right by hand. Uh, But then we got, while I was in school, we got one of the, the very first laser printers. And uh, we were able to print an eight and a half by 11 page in a half an hour. That was like mind-blowing. It's like so fast, <laughs> half an hour. And now we can't even wait like five seconds <laughs> to get something printed. Uh, but it, it was just exciting to, to see this technology. And back then it was like just, you know, we had dot matrix printers. And then we got laser printer where you have this bezier curves and you could actually have things that, you didn't have to build the fonts in like every single point size, right? And you didn't have to see all the dots that made up the graphics. And the, we had this, these really smooth lines that could scale to any, any, um, any scale and any size without losing the resolution. So it was really cool seeing that technology. And that was just black and white back then. But I saw the future. I saw what the possibilities was going to be. I said, hey, it's just a matter of time before we start doing black uh, color. And still looking ahead to see what's coming up, right? So like I'm, I'm starting to delve into like the, the metaverse, right? And uh, I have the the quest uh, two goggles. I'm learning. American Sign Language in a virtual environment. <laughs> you know, it's so awesome.
1: I was actually going to ask you, so what's the next big thing? And I think Meta is going to be a big Meta, big thing
2: yeah, it's, it's one of the things. Um, it's got a few challenges, but a lot of folks are starting to, you know, and, and Metaverse is, is not Facebook. <laughs> I'll just say that up front, right? It's almost the antithesis of what people uh, who really are working on the metaverse is so um it doesn't quite exist yet there's, there's little bits and pieces here that people are working on but the metaverse or web 3.0 as, as a lot of folks like to call it is kind of the next development of the internet so right now you have these services these platforms that everyone uses right there's there's, there's twitter there's facebook there's linkedin there's zoom uh, all of these are online digital tools as part of the internet that internet 2.0, right? It's interactive somewhat, um, but they're individual services where you actually have to create an account and you have to sign up with every single one of those different platforms, right? And they own your account and your profile per se, right? If you leave it and you don't use it, you lose it, but they have all your, your, your data, right? And all your information. So with, with 3.0, what they're looking at is to have it where your profile, your personal, your digital ID, your, your digital footprint moves with you and you give permission to others to actually access your information, right? So you have your one identity instead of having all these multiple identities and you're in control of what those people can access instead of them being the gatekeepers for you to access their services. You're the gatekeeper for them to access you.
1: It's funny. It occurred. I had this moment where I remembered, um, you know, when we got new cell phones, how they mm-hmm. used to always make us get new phone numbers.
2: Yes. Like, yes. Or they
1: wouldn't transfer our data and right. like that shifted obviously different, yes. but it, it made me think of that like, gosh, that really would be nice.
2: Yeah. Right? That And that's part to, of it. Right. Yeah. So that's part of it. it and, and the way they're, they're able to do that is through the blockchain. So because they can have a register of all the things that, that you have and you own, right? So you have these digital products that you can buy. Let's say that you bought a game on um, Apple, right? Or you have something from, from Google, the Google store, or you have something from Facebook. Uh, you're limited to using it only on that particular platform, right? Especially like like Facebook, you you get a a game on Facebook, you're limited to to Facebook. You can't take it over to like Steam, right? Or Xbox or whatnot. You have to buy another, even if it's like the same game, it's the Xbox version, it's the PC Windows version, it's the Mac version. Um, With this other one, you... It's not so much those that those games and software, but, but things that you buy, like say a digital badge, right? Let's say you have a badge uh, because you took a certain course. That stays with you and then that gets to be transferred. You take it with you wherever you go, right? So if you get a badge and you go to LinkedIn, LinkedIn will recognize that badge. But if you go to, let's say another uh, educational platform, theoretically, that should also follow you because you, that can be tracked on the blockchain, right? And so if you buy a pair of digital Nike NFTs, right? Um, and, and that's whole that's another technology also that's, that's really uh, popular right now. Uh, you can take that with you everywhere you go. And because it stays with you, it's part of your digital identity instead of having to like purchase it somewhere else, right? And repurchase it or you leave that system and then it's not, it's not yours anymore. You don't have access to it anymore. So those are some of the things that uh, are part of the metaverse and web 3.0 that people are hoping uh, to do.
1: Yeah. So when I think of all, when I hear your genuine excitement about all of these things that are related to STEM engineering technology, Mm. have you ever doubted like the field you're in or had reservations, concerns,
2: I am very passionate about about steam right science technology engineering art and math well maybe the math not so much <laughs> but but you need the math you know and math is important math is in music and math is in in technology and you know? math is in everything um, but the technology side of things I'm definitely very excited about and and the arts the creative uh, part of it and, and the intersection but um, in terms of of concerns um yeah, I do have some concerns with, with digital, right? We're, we're still human beings. We're analog, and, and digital and analog don't always work together. Um, I have some concerns of kids having too much screen time. There's also concerns of biases, you know, uh, in in software, in algorithms. You know, artificial intelligence uses a whole bunch of, of algorithms, a lot of programming, uh, and it's only as good as the people that, that code it, right? Uh, but when you have, you know, I'll just say it, you know, a majority of those coders being white male, you're going to get that perspective mainly, right? And on these programs. And so we have these biases, not necessarily that they're doing it on purpose, right? It's, um, it's just that that's the only viewpoint that they have. And so which is the same thing that we have with a lot of the research that we've done in the past, right? It's older, white, male um, scientists, uh, Mm -hmm. educated, but educated only in a certain way. And so they have these preconceived notions. They have these ways of doing research. They have these ways of doing research with certain subjects, right? Which then introduces these biases. Well, with technology, because everything goes so much faster, that stuff can actually be even more dangerous because it's it's now happening at a scale and at a speed that is much faster than like just a normal human being can do right because you're you're getting this group of people working on things and then you have the machines themselves uh, doing variations on things based on the original bias and so now they take it just to a whole different level at a faster speed that we can sometimes control. So that scares me a little bit, right? That, you know, where would this technology get to when control, when technology starts controlling you, that's a problem, right? And that is, that is definitely a big concern that I have.
0: Yeah I mean AI in general is really creepy to me um, just because there is no morality clause like everything you watch like sci-fi shows they're just taking over the world or they want to get rid of the human race because we are the ones ruining things right and so (laughs) like with
2: their imperfection right (laughs) yeah
0: so it's just kind of scary um but you're right about the whole biases because when the pandemic first hit and we had those uh, soap dispensers, how they didn't identify people with darker skin yes. and things like that. You didn't know that, Tiffany? She's like yeah. shocked. Yeah. for yeah. the people that can't <laughs> see. I, I, that's
1: me and my ignorance and being a white lady though, right? Yeah. Like,
2: Well, and then the facial recognition happens. too. Mm-hmm. Facial recognition, right? Uh, it, it's based on patterns that, that you, you put into. So uh, machine learning, uh, is based on pattern recognition, right? But you have to feed it samples. And obviously the more samples it, it gets, the, the more refined it can get. But if you only have samples of you know, light-skinned people, it, it's not going to recognize other skin tones. It's not going to, you know, different shapes, different eyes, you, you know, woman versus a man or a kid versus an adult. Um, so you have to take this into account and that's not always thought of.
1: Yeah, I feel like I see that a lot. And um, <clears throat> I, my age puts me often in places like Instagram. <laughs> mm-hmm. And you see that people pointing that out on a lot of filters too, right? Because people create it. And then it's like, it doesn't work with this hair color or these yeah. eyes or this, right. this skin color. And um, <clears throat> it's, pretty, it's pretty messed up when you think, um, I know some of the work Elizabeth and I have done together before um, joining forces in this the efforts we put in were specifically towards serving and and, um, similar to your line of work, trying to include a broader, less served group in STEM and bring them into the fold to help make decisions and create solutions. Um, And it has to happen if we're gonna address so many of these issues, right? Even like you said, day-to-day things like a soap dispenser um, but we have even bigger problems, like what you were saying, that happen at such large scale when we involve technology. Um, and when I think about that, I wonder in your role, um, how do you act as an ally? How do you utilize your allyship to try and maybe address some of these concerns or other yeah, cases?
2: Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, so I, to- I told you about my, you know, real daytime job, but um, I also do a, a bit of K through 12 STEAM outreach and engagement, and especially I, I like to do that with underserved, underrepresented youth, right? Even more specifically, Latino, Hispanic, because that is my background, that is my community, right? Mm-hmm. And so when a big portion of the public is not, does not have the resources, does not have the experiences that everyone has, and And the rate, the demographics that are changing, where at some point, you know, Latinos are going to be the majority. If we don't address that, then we're not serving the majority of people, right? And so you have to start now. So, this is why I do outreach and engagement with kids and try to you know, hone in on diversity, we got to get this diversity. So we're not having these biases, right?
1: So one one issue I've dealt with in the education realm, because I also am involved with K-12 education, um, when we talk about trying to reach underrepresented um, audiences and, and groups that have not been served in the classroom, or um, through STEM education, in particular, hmm. I find that the curriculum and that the programming that is being offered is often not intentionally biased, right? But it really comes from a specific lens. And in particular, I think about whether it's computer science or technology, Mm -hmm. it's kind of like, this is how we have done it. So we want to kind of take this, like this model that we have had and just transfer it to this group that we know that just have different experiences and different lives. Yeah. It
2: doesn't work like that.
1: Yeah. Can you speak to your experience with that? Because I find myself lost in the woods on this Mm. where like, what do we do, how does it need to be different from what we are trying to force feed this audience that we have so um, immensely left out?
2: Yeah, so I I have a few examples. Uh, So I'm involved in a mariachi STEAM camp. Uh, And this is a week long, uh, you know, overnight camp that we have on campus at Oregon State, uh, where we bring Latino youth for a whole week and they 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 experience a college um, experience. You know, living in the dorms, they eat in the cafeterias, um, and the draw for the kids is actually the mariachi music. Right? They play in mariachi bands in the middle school and high school. Uh, so we have them learn about the history of mariachi music. They learn about uh, you know different songs. They practice them in the morning and in the afternoon for a final. Uh, performance, public performance at the end of the week. And so that's the draw, right? It is something that they already know. It's, it's very cultural. They are very proud of their heritage, or they want to learn more about their heritage. And this is one way they participate in that, right? So, and you're going to say, well, what does that have to do with, with STEM, right? <laughs> well, once we have one on campus, we can now expose them to the science, technology, engineering, and math behind music, right? So we have them work on um, activities such as coding an Arduino to play mariachi music, right? Or going out on one of our research vessels out uh, into the ocean, uh, playing their instruments via a microphone that sends audio out into the water, and then receiving that back via a, a microphone that's underwater and analyzing that and seeing how that analog audio turns into digital and what does that look like on a scope and right because it, we're going with what they know they know their culture right As, and that's the mariachi music uh they know music and audio and so we're now layering on top of that um so they have some familiarity instead of it coming in that's like we're putting you into something that is totally out of this world. It is like, if you drop them onto Mars, right? It's like, it's all foreign. No, we have to start somewhere where there's some familiarity, there's some trust. And this goes beyond just what we're, the programming. We actually have, you know, I'd say a good 98% of the uh, the people that are doing the workshops, uh, the near peers, everyone that's actually helping out with this uh, camp is from that community, right? We are bilingual, we're um, Hispanic, Mexican, you know, Latino, Uh, we speak their language, we know their experience, and so the kids actually get to see people like them in these STEM positions. You have to have representation, 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 more than anything else, right? you you can throw technology at people, you can throw money, you can um, have the best teachers that mean well, but if they don't represent the community, are not part of the community, there's a disconnect.
1: Right. And I think there's a, I, first of all, love that you are really talking about student relevance yes. and interest, right? Yep. And letting them drive what you're going to be teaching them and be the you know, the facilitator really of where you're going to go with their learning. And I find that that is hard, right? Because when you deal with public education and I am a white woman, right? Mm -hmm. But a large majority of teachers are white women. And I think we, and I say we, as in people in general, naturally often fall back on their own personal interest, but we need to think what are our kids interested in, right? And especially if you don't represent the the population that you're working with necessarily. you don't right. live in that same experience. I think you need to bring those people in, right like all right yeah. we're gonna build community with this community partner and use that as um, for our learning experiences. But I do find that that's what's hard, right um, because well it is hard. it don't is hard really get it there or they just think, oh I'm kind of doing that right
2: Yeah yeah well and, and the other thing is that teachers, you know, um, schools, associations, whatever, are done by formally educated people. And there's a barrier there. I myself did not have a four year degree. 80% of Latino Hispanics do not have a four year degree. And we're not able to get in those positions to do, I can't be a teacher, right? Unless I have the four-year degree and I have an education certificate and whatnot. Here in extension, you know, you can't be a 4-H agent unless you have a master's degree. <laughs> you, know, you can be an, an associate of, a, and help out an assistant, but that doesn't pay what, what the, the STEM position pays, right? And so- oh, no, not at all. Until that changes, we're very much limited. And I'm, I'm glad that things are starting to change. Um, yeah, it, it sounds sacrilegious to say that uh, academia should not concentrate so much on degrees and certifications <laughs> versus education, but I work at a land-grant university and we have a responsibility outside of academia to actually provide Information and learning opportunities for the general public. As a matter of fact, that's why land grants were created <laughs> in the first place, right? Because not everyone could go to a college. Mm-hmm. And so <laughs> the land grant was created in order to serve, you know, back then it was agriculture, the farmers and their wives and their kids, right? That's why we have 4 H. Yeah. Well, guess what? We're still doing agriculture education, but who's benefiting from the agriculture education? Well, it's kids who are homeschooled, who are majority white, who will have the money and resources to own horses and cows and sheep and have, you know, a a mom that doesn't work that that takes them to their all these different um, events and can pay the fees to be in the archery. club. It also is not culturally relevant. You know, a lot of these Latino Hispanic kids, their their parents are essential workers. They work in, in the farm fields. The last thing that we want to do is learn about farming, and we don't really want to get away as far away from that as possible, right? Because that's what our parents do, um, and they don't get paid very well for that. Um, so we're looking to do some different things, you know. So how do you make that relevant again? Soccer, right? Soccer, a 4-H program, doing soccer—it's it's youth development, right? It's it's not taking care of pigs and sheep and cattle. Um, But you still can learn those youth development skills. You can still the sportsmanship, working in a team, doing technology. You could do that using soccer. And and again, it's it's basing the gravitating on the, the interest of the youth, going with what they know, and then building on top of that.
1: You were talking um, about how, you know, teaching requires this four-year degree, and so when we talk about wanting more representation in teaching, I, I feel like Elizabeth and I have talked about this a lot, too, mm. and how not only does it require a four-year degree, but even once you have it, then you have to get more education to keep your license current. Oh, all yeah. Things, And, you know, obviously, we aren't going to, you work at OSU, so you're familiar with like just education in general and i know there's been some partnerships between different districts with you know funding teacher training um with agreements to go work in those districts and things like that but i would say one of the biggest issues is we really need to look at the kind of work that qualifies to be a teacher because i'd say there's a lot of equivalent Mm -hmm. to actually getting your degree that should count right or like a certain amount of professional experience should be like oh, you could apply for a professional, like we call them professional licenses and teaching,
2: like
1: if you took some foundational courses or even through the district, there was a foundational course, right? Like maybe you get hired and they're Mm -hmm. like, hey, we just need to make sure you take this foundations course your first year. Um, I feel like we have to reconsider how we're doing licensing and how we're providing those licenses if we want to change representation, because it's cost prohibitive, right? I grew yeah. up in a family that I took lots of loans and they did not have money to help me pay, but I was lucky enough to qualify for loans. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of people who can't, right? Um, or they yeah. can't take the risk. So, yeah. right. I didn't
2: qualify because I graduated high school at 16 and my parents says, that's as far we can support you. And at 16, you can't sign for a loan. So,
1: right, well, you know. our DACA students, they can't yeah. get federal loans, right? right. Which is like right. some students who I've taught who would be the best teachers are like, I really don't think I could even consider it because I could never take that kind of money out, right? And I can't get federal loans. And so when you think we want more representation, we want people who have experiences that speak to our students and can connect to their lived experience, but Mm -hmm. we aren't changing the process.
2: We're making it worse, actually, because, yeah. well, if you take New York, New York, you actually have to have a master's degree, you know, even if you're an elementary teacher. Well, think about it. Uh, or, or at least you have to agree within the first five years, right, to yeah. get your master's. Oregon so, is pretty
1: similar. Within yeah. Within a certain number of years, you have
2: to have- Well, it's, everyone's going that way if they're not there already, right? Well, here's the thing, you know, okay, so you got your your teaching, but they want you to get your master's. You got to now pay for that. And you got to do it within those five years. You, you go into debt again, because you, you know, you've already got it from your bachelor's. Now you got, you got your master's and then you come back and what are they, what is the benefit that you get? Uh, Well, you get to teach for one thing, but how much more money do you get for that two to four thousand dollars more a year? And how much did you spend to getting that? And are you that much more of a qualified teacher now? Now you're overqualified. (laughs) Right? Yeah. (laughs) I I think certification would be great. You know, micro certification. Why do we has to be a degree? Why? Why can't it be specific certification for specific subjects, right? And Mm -hmm. that's fine. You know, that could be done cheaper and faster. But why do you have to go back for another two years worth of stuff, which you're not going to do in two years because you're already working full time, right? Mm -hmm. And, And just add on top of that. Let's go back to the ones that are actually starting. So you're getting your bachelor's, you know used to be four years. The average now is six years to get your bachelor's. And then you have your teaching certificate on top of that, right? So it's just getting longer and longer. These two years of pandemic, the best teachers are leaving the profession right now in droves. Just, you know, this month and next month is probably going to be the biggest exit of trained, passionate teachers that we've ever had.
1: As someone who, I'm not saying I was, I, I think I was an okay teacher. I tried really hard. Once I had a child, it was especially hard. So I was like, I can't do this. But I think I know so many really, really good teachers who actually are very reflective of uh, the diverse groups of students that they serve. And they, mm-hmm. they're just like, between what I have to do for my family, between the pressure and the intensity and the... Um, Anger that I mm-hmm. get, mm-hmm. like I just I can't keep doing this to myself.
2: One of the ways that I address it is mm-hmm. well, I am not a teacher, right? I'm not certified, but that doesn't stop me from collaborating with teachers in schools and yes. going into the classroom and providing programming for them, right? Oh. Um, I was out in uh, Corvallis Bilingual School, Garfield Elementary, with a fifth grade class, and I'm doing a drone workshop with mm-hmm. them, right? So I was there last Friday, we were talking about flight characteristics, you know, how drones and airplanes and helicopters fly, I'm going to go and uh, we're actually they're going to be flying drones and, and learning how to program them to fly autonomously right. And so we're, I'm going and giving the kids experiential learning any culturally relevant because they're bilingual i can speak spanish and english spanglish right which is awesome and the kids is like wow you know i can actually understand it." some of the kids english is their second language and spanish is primary and when they have someone coming to talk to them about technology in their language that knows where they come from um it's just totally different experience right so i'm able to provide that i think we we can Get other people, you know, uh, college students, even high school students, right? Near peers, uh, why are not high school students teaching elementary students or middle school students, right? And give them a stipend, not a volunteer position, right? Why are we expecting kids to do unpaid internships, right? And they still have to do housing and food and whatnot. And you want to develop those those kids and have them be teachers, start them early and give them those opportunities to go out into the community and and teach experiential learning.
0: It's hard because like you were saying with the degrees, like I'm Latina Mm -hmm. and my mom pushed us. We either had to get jobs right out of high school or we had to go to college. Those were our only options. Then once we got our degrees, the option was you follow that career path, you don't deviate from the plan, Mm. you whatever you studied, that's where you land. But Mm -hmm. that's not possible, depending on what you studied. I studied conservancy, I studied environmental education, I can teach, but I don't have a certification. So I can't work in a classroom. I I want to go into conservation, but I can't because it's a white dominated field. So for her, it's like, I'm failing at what I studied so hard for at what I'm paying student loans for. So even kind of re-educating parents as well as mm-hmm. to letting them know that these systems are in place that are failing us. And I think sometimes we forget, we we instill students, we tell them what's going on, but we forget to involve the parents and we mm. forget to involve them in even STEM. Like, I believe STEM literacy for adults should be a thing. Mm. I don't know why it's not, but it should
2: be. Yeah. Well, they just assume, well, they, you know, adults went to school. Well, not all our parents went to school or didn't go to the right school or, or, you know, uh, some of them don't even know how to read and write. Uh, You know, in our community, there's still people like that. So you can't make assumptions based on your own experience. Another reason that I, I am so passionate about doing this, the STEAM outreach and engagement is because I want kids to go into STEM, because if they go into STEM, they can actually make enough money to at some point give back to the communities, right? We can get Latino uh, youth into into college and universities, but where do they usually push them towards? You know, nonprofit work, Right. Or, or even like teaching, which doesn't make that much money. You're barely surviving, right? Not have like student
1: loans on top, right? Of
2: so, when does that allow you to give back to your community?
1: What I love so much about what you're saying, too, though, this—it's not. Uh, there's multiple things that need to happen to solve all these problems, but serving through after-school, in-school um, partnerships right? Bringing in outside groups while we, well, we know there's an imperfect system in place right now. Mm-hmm. It reminds me of kind of like a stopgap action, right? Like this is what we can do right now to just fix things because we know the system is not working. Um, and then we have to also figure out how can we make the system work better so that our students are served all hours of the day, not just when they get this special experience, Absolutely, right? Um, but I love it because they're, things are happening, people are working hard. And I think uh, we talk about it all the time on this podcast about the things that need to be fixed. <laughs> but I, I think the important thing is every single person we bring on this podcast is doing some of the fixing.
2: I also believe that we need to, to reach farther down earlier. You know, a lot of the STEM stuff is not until maybe middle school and usually the high school, right? Well, by that time, the kids have already decided what they're going to be. You know, the jocks are going to be jocks. The, 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 the nerds are the nerds. The, the socialites are the socialites. The
1: For listeners, Elizabeth and I are here in the <laughs> background like clapping our hands like, yes, yes, yes. It's
2: too late. It is too late. You know, you got to get them before middle school, right? Yeah, there's a lot
1: of research that shows that STEM identity or like identity in general is built between fourth and fifth grade yep and so when we're missing this is oh everyone I talked to when I was a you know I taught in first grade third grade and fifth grade and I always battled people to teach more science and more math and more hands-on learning um in stem and people would be like well, okay, we dabble in it or we do this, but they're going to, they have classes in middle school and it's like, it's done by then, right? Not, yep. not for everyone, right. but for a lot of people, it's done. They already yep. don't identify. They're already left out. And so they're still right. going to struggle in those courses.
2: They say, oh, I, I'm not good at math. I'm not good at yep. science. I don't like that. I don't yeah. like technology. You know, it's, it's, it's for the smart kids. It's for the STEM kids. It's like, yeah. and again, this is why I, I try to, emphasize the arts and the creativity because everybody does create everybody can create right everybody can do music and 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 write and and sing and dance and you know that we're familiar with that we have that in entertainment and so you grab their interest through that okay (laughs) well guess what I was teaching about I was teaching about drones and I bought drones out right and he got to fly a drone and 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 program it and you know fly the world's tiniest drone off of his hand and put on these goggles so you could see another drone that had a wireless video camera that you could see what the drone was seeing as it was flying around uh, the room there and he was like so excited about all this stuff and at the end of the session I said well guess what we did and he goes what science and he goes (laughs) That was science, you know. You never had thought of that as being science. It was like, yeah, we learned about flight physics. We we learned about the the laws of physics, we learned how airplanes and, and drones fly, we learned about technology, you know, we learned science. And it's like for the first time in his life, science was fun, right? But science was not the the thing that we were studying. We were studying cool flying robots, right? And so it's this, you learn the science by osmosis almost, (laughs) right? And so this is what I try to do. Um, Another thing that I did because of COVID, we were able to have the steam Mariachi camp. So I developed an online workshop called COVID Corridos, where we had the kids learn about how to write... Corridos, which is a popular Mexican musical art form, right? So, if you're from Mexico, you you, you know what corridos are, um, and a corrido is usually about the some dancing music. Uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, but the story behind corridos is usually usually about some catastrophic event, right? Yeah. Some bad thing that happened, you know, like the ballad of this person that that passed away because they they did something wrong in their life or whatnot. And I said, well, what's more catastrophic than a worldwide pandemic? Right? <laughs> so I, you know, I had a music teacher teach them the history of, of corridos, and then I taught them because you know I'm a singer songwriter and a lyricist. I taught them how to write songs, right? And then the workshop says, I told them, we're going to write songs about COVID. And we're going to write songs about how it has affected you. Your family, which a lot of their parents were essential workers, right? Mm -hmm. And your school, I mean, heck, some of these kids did not have a graduation, a traditional graduation. It was online. They didn't get to march and they didn't have all their family members there to celebrate, right? And then during summer, which when we had this workshop, they were all stuck at home. They didn't, they couldn't go out and see their friends, right? And so we provided this safe space online with people like them, right? Um, I had a couple of engineers from Intel talk about the science behind digital audio conversion. So Intel... Uh, donated some USB microphones that we sent to the kids, and we taught them how to use Audacity, which is freely available, uh, and taught them how to record audio, right, and uh, edit it. And so they're learning digital skills: how do computers record audio? How do you convert an, yeah, analog to digital? And 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 you can manipulate that and do non-destructive editing and all this, you know, all this stuff. It's science. It's technology. But as far as they knew, they're learning how to write songs. And then we collaborated. So they were learning about teamwork and we had some other gals from uh, Intel who work in marketing, uh, teach them about social media and being safe online and how to set up a LinkedIn profile, right? Which prepares them for their future careers and their education and with the hope that they, they would take these songs that they wrote in both English and Spanish and then share them via social media digitally, right? So we gave them the di- digital tools to do it. Again, they're writing songs as far as they're concerned, but I, we were teaching them science, technology, engineering, and math through that platform.
1: Pretty much anything you do at any point in the day, you can relate back to STEM. And when, I, when I'm yep. like, when you're working with kids, what are they doing? Are they playing a board game? Okay, talk about like, what is the board game set up like? How does mm. it fold, right? Yep. Like you think about how some games fold, we're talking about math now, right? Look, talk about fractions, right? right? You can't just sit down and talk at them. Um, Cause there's a few kids who will listen, who are you know trained to be that way, but most humans in general mm. are not that way, especially kids. <laughs>
0: Makes me think of the example of where you hide veggies in the kids' food.
2: <laughs> right,
0: you're not outright telling them vegetables are in the food, but they're there. Yes. Uh, so you're doing something good for them, right?
2: Yeah, and at and- some point, you you do tell them, "Hey, you know," because you don't want to like, um, <laughs> you know lead them astray or anything like oh well you've been doing this all the- all along it's like no no at some point he's like you say you say hey yes you've been yeah. eating, eating veggies all this time it's like really oh i didn't know that yeah, I, mean, no, I actually know like right? broccoli and asparagus right yes. yeah
1: well yeah. it is similar though where i do you tell them because i yes. have a four-year-old and it's one of those things like see it wasn't that bad right, right. Like, you're right. really good at this and it's yeah. like i am good at eating health i am good at science yeah. i am good at math you're like you're excellent at it you do it all the time
2: um, so but- the, in addition to that it, i think it's also very important to show the different types of careers in stem that may not look like stem but are yet stem careers right mm-hmm. so i'm a technologist i teach people how to use technology faculty and staff how to do you know videos and use photoshop and illustrator and 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 websites and and zoom and you know, the metaverse here pretty soon and drones and things like that, right? Uh, I'm not an engineer. I'm not a coder. I'm not a scientist. I'm definitely not a mathematician. And yet I work in STEM and I make good money. And I am able to do that because I learned a lot of those concepts, right? So you still have to learn some of the concepts, but you don't have to be the biggest nerd the biggest math whiz, the the biggest scientist. You don't have to be a STEM person to work a traditional, what most people think of STEM to work in STEM. And I don't think kids actually are aware of all those different positions that you can do.
1: So many of our students and their families, they have people who are in STEM careers and they don't even realize They
2: don't realize it. Yeah, right? absolutely. I mean,
1: I never thought of my, my father was a mechanic and mm. I feel like, you know, he worked in a garage. I thought he was like a blue collar guy, right? But it's like, well, he actually he knew how to build an engine, right? Like, that's a big deal. That's, that's STEM. That's knowing how, you know, engineering and science work. But it's not the same as working at a tech company.
2: Well, like you say, uh, there, there's no job anymore that STEM does not touch at some point, somewhere. Right. Um, I talked to um, a father of, of a student out in Hillsborough. Uh, they were celebrating some some of the recent graduates, uh, Latinos that were, you know, got some scholarships. I think one of them even went like to Harvard and something like that. Uh, but I was talking to, to one of the parents and found out that he would worked in the field um, about 30 years in Oregon, right? And I asked him, hey, Don Juan, wh- what changes have you seen in your job in the time that you've been doing this for the last you know, 20, 30 years? And he goes, because I, I did a presentation on technology, right? And then drones and says, you know what? Even in the field, picking uh, fruit or berries or whatever, technology has impacted us so much that when I started 30 years ago, we had like 100 people working in the fields. And now we have like three people with machines doing it. The wow. same amount of work, right? So he's working with technology, uh, doing what, some would have considered manual labor but the machines are doing the manual labor now right yeah. and he has to know enough about that in order to work it but even in those blue collar jobs technology is is infiltrating
0: yeah and speaking of like evolution in careers and in one position, where do you see yourself in like five years? Do you, you do a lot. So is there anything (laughs) that, that you haven't done that you're like, oh, I really need to do that, that I really want to make that impact?
2: Well, it's, it's, it's on the educational, informal education, experiential learning. Right. And so I'm collaborating with folks on different types of grants and just being very public. You know, I I participate in social media. I'm I'm currently working on a bilingual science-based space themed children's music album called mariachi on mars <laughs> so you know that's the way i do impact I, I do it in a very silly funny but still sciencey technology kind of way uh that grabs attention right i, I used to do that through drone singer right the weird al drones you know and when people find out that i i write silly songs about drones it's like <gasps> what You know, it just grabs people's attention. And now I'm writing this album. It's called Mariachi on Mars. And they want to know because they know what Mariachi is. They know what Mars is. But how the heck do you put those two things together, right? And so because of my background in music and science and and aerospace, because I wanted to be a pilot, right? I'm familiar with all these different subjects. And I'm able to create these engaging educational experiences and products that can reach my community. Basically, when I retire, I just want to do this full time, right? I I still have to do my my supporting role, the technical role, thing that I do at OSU. Uh, but the more that I can do the outreach and engagement with with underserved, underrepresented youth in my own unique way, um, that's really what I want to, you know, increase.
0: And where can people reach you? Like where can they reach out to you or find your music or things like yeah. that?
2: Yeah. So I got my uh, website. It's dronesinger.com. One word. And if you actually, if you just Google drone singer as one word uh, and my name, Victor Viegas, I, I think like the first five pages is all my stuff out there. Cause I got so many, you know, I've done a lot of interviews. I've done a lot of songs. I, I've, I've put out information about drones So you'll you'll find it out there on my Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn. I just opened up a TikTok account, but I haven't posted anything yet. (laughs) But we'll see. Uh, They they keep on telling you if you're doing music and you're dealing with kids, you should be on TikTok. It's like okay, I'm gonna try it. So that's. I
1: feel like you could make some good ones.
2: Yeah, (laughs) we'll see. We'll see. The most rewarding thing, though, is having the kids come up to me afterwards and go, "Wow, I." have been interested in learning how to fly. But when I learned that you learned how to fly and you actually did it, that gives me hope that I can maybe do that myself. Right. Or I have another kid comes up. Oh, wow. You know, you write songs about science. I write songs too. And I go, that's great. You know, keep on working at it because I'm not going to be here forever and I need someone else to take up that mantle. And so them hearing that is like, wow. Yeah, I could do that. Right. And so you can be you and work in STEM and that's powerful.
0: Yeah, it's a beautiful message. Um, and I think it's a good message to say thank you for being here. But before you go, we want to play a game if you're up for it.
2: Sure. Let's go.
0: Okay. The game's called This Versus That. All right. Um This versus that is a game adapted from the Versus Poetry podcast. We're going to ask you to choose either the best or the worst of something. And the only object to this game is to try and answer as fast as you can. So before we start, do you want to choose the best or the worst of things?
2: I try to stay positive. So let's go for the best.
0: (laughs) Oh, we're going to choose that. (laughs) (laughs) I kind of figured, but still going to ask the question. Let's go for it. All right. So, best song to dance to?
2: Oh my word! Best song to dance to. I'm um, not much of a
0: dancer. <laughs> or to listen uh, to.
2: Or to listen to. Well, my any of my songs, of course. <laughs> I have not to play humble. a song. Actually, I did. Oh,
1: do go ahead, play one. Yeah.
2: Oh, okay. So, um, let me grab my ukulele.
1: I have mine too. But yes. Not any good? I have mine sitting right next now, just to prove I've been practicing.
2: Awesome. I'm really
1: good my son and I try to play together, but I'm not great.
2: Well, at keep all. at it. If we you will. have it next to you and you play it five minutes, at least five minutes That's a day, sweet. every yep. day, you will improve.
1: I have a challenge with some of those chords. My fingers are small. <laughs> <laughs> I thought a ukulele would be either easier, but let's hear it.
2: Okay. So this song is uh, one of the songs that I sing when I do my drone workshops. It's called Drones Are Cool. And it's a parody song based on a couple of of pop songs older pop songs but uh what i like about you and i can't remember what the other one is but you probably recognize it uh if you've if you heard more like classic uh pop songs so here we go hey uh uh-huh. let me tell you about drones just listen to me sing they're cool fine robots with awesome technology yeah, they have IMUs to help stabilize. Some have GPS to guide them in the sky and fly autonomously singing. Yeah, 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 Say it loud, say it clear. Drones are cool, yeah, drones are cool. There are many kinds of drones. Some small, some big. There are even drones you can race and fly a FPV. Yeah, there are multi-rotors drones. Some are fixed wing. They are controlled via radio frequencies. They're used for many different things. Singing, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Say it loud. Say it clear. What? Drones are cool. Yeah. Drones are cool. One more verse. If you want to fly drones, please fly responsibly. Stay away from airplanes, airports, yes, indeed. Read the manual through and through, learn to calibrate, or you might crash and it's too late. Fly your drone, but fly safely. Singing yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Say it loud. Say it clear, what? Drones are cool, yeah. Drones are cool. Yeehaw! We
1: need a clap track. I feel awesome. like, I don't know if it will capture our claps very well, but that was great. Yeah. That was great. Well, yeah. that would be, that's going to be my, like, best song for the day for sure. But, so, one more, um, or a few more best. Um, how about... Artist.
2: Wow. See, because I like so many things, it's very hard for me. Yeah. You know, I, I wanted to be a photographer and a musician and an artist and a, and a teacher and a you know a pilot. And you're asking me to choose one like thing when I'm not the. the actually, That's a little bit. You no, know, that was that was the person that was that was coming to my mind because he was more than an artist, right? His art was very math based. Definitely one of my um, Steam heroes. Right.
1: Maybe another nickname for you should be the modern Da Vinci. The modern Da Vinci. Like, yeah. Like you two have some similarities. That could be
0: the tagline yeah. for this episode. A
2: Renaissance man. Yeah. yeah. I've always considered myself a Renaissance man. And I think we have to bring that back because we've become too specialized and the world is becoming, you know, the world of, of generalist, really. Um, so we need specialists. Don't get me wrong. But I think you have to be flexible enough to be able to new to learn new skills on the fly and be able to adapt
0: best instrument
2: oh see again (laughs) that word oh geez uh well i took trumpet lessons and bagpipe lessons so those are the only two things that actually took lessons in Everything else, I've I've learned, uh, and I play by ear mainly. So, I mean, I I know a little bit of music notation and whatnot, but I I play mainly by ear. And the thing I play the most lately is probably guitar. I mean, I probably have a collection of—I hate to say it—but probably got thirty plus guitars. You know, best
0: guitar though.
2: (laughs) The best guitar is the one I have in my hands at the moment. (laughs) Good answer.
0: That is a good answer. Well, thank you again for being here. This was fun. It's yeah, thank you. a shame I feel it like has I STEM. Wanted to come back to you in like a
1: month or two.
0: And well, like
2: I think come I'm back. back on a panel or something. Yeah, right? he'll yeah. be
0: on the panel for Steam, STEM versus Steam, and then we'll decide if we want to add stream to it.
2: <laughs> what was the R for? Got, research. Research. Yeah, eh, that's included in science. That's right. what
0: I said. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah.
2: that's included in this. so I, the we'll worst, be
1: hearing everything Victor about stream is some people say the r is reading at least in, and i'm like no what are you i mean of course you need reading and everything
0: well that's a good preview for upcoming episode so Absolutely. thank you everybody this is our episode yay thank you thank you so before we sign off we wanted
3: to give you three easy ways that you can support women in science portland number one If you have instagram go to at women in science pdx and follow us and here's the thing you have to make sure to like all of our most recent posts so that the algorithm knows you want to see this content it's dumb it's silly here we are instagram's algorithm recently went through a change where you might not even see all the posts who, that have been posted by the people you follow. So that way you can stay on top of all the new events, blog posts, and podcast episodes that we worked so hard to put together for the community. So make sure you do stay plugged into uh, what is happening with, with PDX if you are on social media. The second thing you can do is just subscribe to this podcast so that you automatically get updates when we do release episodes. That way you don't have to keep checking every two weeks when we release them.
0: And the third thing you can do if you feel comfortable and have the resources to donate to our nonprofit, head to womeninsciencebdx.org donate. Your money goes straight to things like our high demand scholarships for low-income schools and educators and honorariums for negotiation bootcamp instructors and speakers.